Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 314th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that managed to not get banned before Luris did. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here, and I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. But keep in mind, this show is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is on our agenda this week? Well, we're going to start off by talking about the metagame week in review online. Uh, There's some fun decks to talk about, including some things you might not have seen coming. Then we're going to talk about cards that have moved on in paper and online. Uh, there's a real strong theme in this week's paper movers. Then you and I are going to talk about our favorite picks this week, and we're going to close off talking about uh, two big things that happened this last week. We got a little taste of New Capenna, and then uh, Loris is taken out for, you know, the bath in the woods that he never came back from. <laughs> rough i know all right so we can dive right in here on the magic online metagame week in review and i think it's probably best to frame to front end the luris conversation here since i think that most of the points i would want to make on this are best highlighted by examining these modern challenges on magic online from the weekend keep in mind that the luris ban dropped on monday and so it was a complete unknown with no prior signaling during the weekend and as a result, we had, not, not surprising to me or to anybody who's paying attention to the format, uh, a fairly interesting, probably the most interesting set of challenge results that we've seen in weeks, actually. You know, we, we highlight on our sheet when something new slash uh, resurgent shows up uh, in the challenges and the other major tournaments. And I'll tell you, this, this week we've got out of 16 deck lists, I think... A full half of them uh, qualify for that designation, including the challenge on the Saturday, first and second, taken down by almost identical updated hardened scales affinity lists. Uh, These of the four Zabaz, four Patchwork Automaton, uh, an uncommon out of Neon Dynasty, and four Esper Sentinel, along with all the usual uh, suspects in such lists, Probably most interested here in the Patchwork Automatons. Those foils are relatively low on TCG Player and almost made it on my cards to watch list this week. Um, Somebody's already been taking a swipe at them and the inventory's not particularly deep, so I left it off the list. But I would definitely be putting these aside out of your uh, Neon Dynasty collector booster boxes, where you should be able to find a, a small handful of them. And... Not a bad idea to snap off copies of these under, you know, the 2 to $3 range with what's left on TCG and eBay or, you know, 
the various vendors online if you intend on playing this deck at all. I don't think this is really much of an EDH card because it basically is kind of like a Tarmogoyf just turns into a big dumb beater at, at a cheap casting cost. But I have seen Aspiring Spike running the card in not this list, but associated lists, where he managed to get it up to 5-5-6-6-7-7 pretty easily, um, given that it gets bigger every time an artifact comes into play. And its ward ability in a, I think it's ward 2, right. in a format that runs, you know, tends to play tap out magic a lot of the time, um, unless they're on the control front, uh, means that Card does a pretty solid Tarmogoyfy impression in this deck. Yeah, I mean, what's not to love about the the deck that's just really finely tuned and it's just going to escalate in a, a wonderfully terrifying way? If you're not playing mass removal, it's going to take you to, if you're lucky, turn three. Uh, the patchwork's going to be the first one you kill, but it's not the only thing you need to kill. And these decks, you know, they want to unholy heat it once and have it go away. But with uh, the way Hardened Scales and Modular work together, like you really might not get a chance to Unholy Heat it away. Yeah, you can usually kill the first or second thing relatively easily out of Affinity, but once they, if you let them get two or three creatures on the board, then they're just going to do things like leverage Scales and or Zabaz to sack a bunch of stuff to Ravager and or sack Ravager to itself and then put the counters on... Inkwok Nexus. Inkwok Inkwok Nexus or Zabaz or the Patchwork Automaton, depending on what they need to be doing. So, yeah. Yes, this is a Lurus deck. So Lurus did finish first second here. But the rest of the field was Blue-Red Murktide, a non-Lurus deck. um, And one of the decks that people would suspect stands to gain the most uh, from a Lurus band, just in the sense that they weren't leaning on it at all and were already doing well. So if the other decks that were leaning on Lurus do a little worse, um, then maybe they do a little better. Fourth place was Grixis Shadow, which of course is another uh, Lurus list. But then in fifth, we had, out of left field, Yorion Spirits. And as somebody who tabled Yorion as a companion in Commander this weekend against the Pro Traders... Um, it's not. I, I can well understand how, with the very deep uh, catalog of extremely powerful cards they printed in the last two years, it's not all that hard <laughs> to maintain card quality and go from sixty to eighty. And we've seen this in what five, six, seven, eight different versions of Yorion builds in Modern that run the spectrum from uh, tribal to control. Uh, this one in particular is spirits, so it's just a huge pile of spirits, four of spirits, and then four solitude and four subtlety. First time we've seen subtlety back on the menu like that in a while in modern. Uh, top eighting is a four of. The only things that are not 46 creatures in this deck and the 28 lands are two Teferi Time Raveler and four Prismatic Ending. Um, and so, yeah, y- Yorion decks also worth a, a look given that they are you know wizards did not ban companion as a mechanic at least not yet um but merely Lurus. so any of the decks that that are already good and get still still get to run a companion are you know in, in an even better position and then in sixth place 
we have the absolutely wild four color squirrels list that aspiring spike and others have been running on stream lately and doing reasonably well with five owing a bunch of leagues and this thing is four disciple of the vault four esper sentinel four ingenious smith four ragavan four ravenous squirrel yet another card out of modern horizons 2 that has top aided and modern now uh, ravenous squirrel if you opened a bunch of collector booster boxes from mh2 you probably have a bunch of these foils sitting around that you should be making sure aren't curling to into dust in the corner of your house ravenous squirrel is green slash black for a one one squirrel whenever you sacrifice an artifact or creature put a plus one plus one counter on it so it's got similar things going on as the patchwork automaton and it's in the sense that it can grow into a tarmogoyf level threat um, as the game progresses naturally and then it's got a bonus ability one green black sacrifice an artifact or creature you gain a life and draw a card which is a very nice grindy ability and in this deck extra special because you got four galvanic blast just to get a better lightning bolt in a deck with a lot of artifacts and then they're making use of two key artifacts out of neon dynasty for experimental synthesizer which is the one that gives you an opportunity to cast a card from exile um, when it comes into play for one red and then later you get to make a 2-2 white samurai creature token with vigilance um, if you pay three for it and then they've got oni cult anvil as the other part of this partnership where it's a black red for an artifact whenever one or more artifacts you control leave the battlefield you get a 1-1 colorless construct uh, and then tap sacrifice an artifact oni cult anvil deals one damage to each opponent and you gain one life so you can use it as a draining mechanism alongside disciple of the vault which drains for one whenever an artifact goes uh, into the battlefield um, sorry into the graveyard from the battlefield and then they have pyrite spellbomb shadow spear and springleaf drum all of which they can search up with urza's saga so is this a Luris deck yes but it's also new and fresh and this top eight looks amazing it was you know seventh and eighth place here were creativity combo and then heliod combo back on the menu including three grist the hunger tide that can be cast into play from four collected company four ranger captain of eos to my eyes this is not a modern format that needed luris band i feel like the luris band is statistically correct in the sense that it is overrepresented in the format as a card but i'm not sure it's any worse than say lightning bolt or counterspell or prismatic ending in that regard and I don't think that the Luris decks have a clear advantage in the format. I think that their rationale wasn't just one of, um, you know, the Luris decks are representing a large proportion of things. I think it's also that they recognized they needed to uh, be careful of what else they might have printed in the future that Luris enabled. Because, I mean, it, it, it sure seems like you're paying a lot for Luris. Like, you got to pay three mana to put in your hand, then three mana to cast it, and hopefully you have an extra land to, take care, to utilize Luris's ability immediately. And then if Luris dies, then you, you, it's not like it goes back to the command zone. You don't get another cast from it. But we have seen how powerful it is to have this card in hand, even at a three mana tax. It's too good. 
Like it's too, like magic's got the whole um, randomization thing, right? We can get mana screwed. We can get mana flooded. And when you add cards like this to a, a an ability that you can't make them discard it until they choose to put Luris in their hand, so you, you literally cannot interact with the card. You just have to obey its restrictions. I can see what they're saying, that like every thing, everything that they ever print, every creature at one or two mana, you know, has to be like, is this going to overpower a Luris deck? And they didn't want to worry about that going forward. Or maybe like there's something in New Capenna that's two mana and is just busted ass with Luris. I don't know. But um, the combination of there's a lot of it, plus we have to be careful of it in the future. You know, they don't want to worry about that. They just want to let people play crazy stuff. I did see a couple tweets about like, well, now people are going to play cards that cost too much because Luris isn't making them stay cheap. And I like that way of thinking about it. I I believe, agree, that the stats say Luris is ubiquitous. I also believe that Luris has a dampening effect on some three and four mana spells in specific decks where, for instance, Liliana of the Veil right. was not being played in Jund because that didn't fit into the Luris game plan. But that's not... Aspiring Spike was talking about this the day of the bans. Um, how, while that's true to an extent, there's more going on there. Like, Liliana's just not a high enough power level for the format in general at this point and doesn't necessarily do the things she used to do in the format. And a lot of these cards, the, the format with or without Luris is so low slung that I think that the modern equals power creep argument over the last three years is actually much more true than Luris is negatively impacting the format. I think that when you, when, when you talk about something like, um, you know, they can't print stuff because they're worried about Luris. I mean, dude, there's so many things that applies to you. If it interacts positively with Ragavan, if it inter interacts positively with Urza, if it interacts positively with Urza's Saga, if it does, there's there's a bunch of cards in the format that are OP. And, but I, I think why the format's been so good is because they printed a lot of them and they fit in a bunch of different decks. And so while some of them are repetitive role players like Asper Sentinel and Force of Negation and Luris and others, some of them are very, you know, are, you know, something like a patchwork automaton is very specifically an affinity card, not a, a wide format problem. And I'm very hardline about, I don't think you should ban anything in any format unless it's causing a real problem. Like I was against the Golos ban in EDH. I think it's ridiculous. I think rule zero should handle those kinds of things. Like Golos uh, prevents people from building other five-color commanders. I don't buy that for a second. Like, I, I think that if people are trying to min-max their EDH decks, like, the, closer to the CEDH side of the community, that might have been true. But I think the uh, the people I play EDH with every week and the people I talk to and the people I see talking about EDH, they seem to just want to build the new cool thing. Like, everybody in the Pro Trader Discord that's been playing uh, EDH on Saturday nights with us the last month has just been building the new commanders. They're not going back and building Yuriko because Yuriko may actually be better than Satoru. They're just building Satoru because Satoru's new. And I think that that is much more common in the EDH community broadly. And where it's not, where you have a cultural conflict and somebody comes to the table with something that is clearly overpowered versus the rest of the table, you should be able to handle that through community negotiation. Bring a few decks, 
that's a, that's one good way to handle it so that even if you combo off on turn four and wipe the table everybody else you know you're not going to do it again exactly the same way the next game detune your decks have you know i have for a track side, i have like a sideboard like i can change the power level of my deck before the game depending on who i'm playing with and and i think that in modern bands are much better served targeting things that are warping the format to the extent that it narrows the format very very tightly and leads to a complete lack of innovation in the format and i don't think that the Luris band passes that test this is the most innovation we've seen in modern in years over the last six months since modern or eight months i guess since modern horizon 2 was released and it is the greatest number of decks that have top aided during that period and while you can make the argument that a lot of those decks were Luris decks a lot of them weren't and a lot of them were yorion decks or obosh decks or gigantha decks or or kahira decks and that's fine as long as the format has relatively equal access to companions, I don't think they're actually a problem. And I think that you, if you doubled the number of companions, like offered up another round of them, and they were modern considered, they were designed with modern in mind to fill gaps for decks that didn't currently have access to them, would have it would have evened itself out completely. So, and I think we're this, now all of that being said, I don't actually believe that getting rid of Luris is a problem in some way. I mean, I lost $200 in terms of... I saw uh, that tweet, yeah. Yeah, having high-end Luruses that I can't sell. But honestly, that kind of stuff just kind of like, whatever. When you have a few hundred thousand dollars in inventory, you don't give a shit one way or the other about that stuff because whatever that whatever I lost in Lurus, I gained in Merktide regions and whatever else. It just doesn't matter. But where so what, where I think this can possibly go wrong, but probably will be fine, is... If the decks that tended to run Luris, the low-slung aggro decks, needed that recovery piece to compete against combo and or specifically control decks, like we saw in the challenge on the 6th this weekend, Guillaume Boifotapo, um, fairly well-known Magic Pro from Days Yore, won the challenge on the Sunday with blue-white control featuring one, the Wandering Emperor, and three March of Otherworldly Light, and then a whole bunch of other things that would be expected. There was blue-red Murktide, blue-white Hammer Time, blue-white control again in fourth, living end in fifth, blue-white Hammer Time in sixth, Boggles showed up in seventh, again with the resurgence of of out-of-left-field decks that, you know, are past their heyday. But Boggles is reinvigorated because they now have three Light Paws Emperor's Voice to fool around with. That's another Neon Dynasty card. And then for people that aren't familiar, Light Paws <clears throat> is a 2-2 two, two for 2. Whenever an aura enters the battlefield under your control, if you cast it, you can search your library for an aura card with mana value less than or equal to that aura with a different name. So it basically lets you like start to Voltron up and give you some reach, a, a backup plan. Uh, and then in 8th was, was another version of the Hardened Scales list that finished first and second on the Saturday, so scale's looking very good. Now, all of the aggro decks in this top eight were all leaning on Luris. Hammer Time, Scales, uh, Boggles must have been running it. Yeah, they were. So if a lot of those decks fall, start to fall out of the format and the format goes more mid-range control slat versus combo, that could be bad. <laughs> Like, I, I think it's possible for there to be an evolution of this format that narrows things 
and knock some decks out of contention. But if that doesn't happen, if the format stays just as diverse with or without Luris, then I think it's fine. Like, and, I, and honestly, I have a feeling we'll be in a position six months six months from now looking back where we will be able to confidently say, you know what, I think you could just unban Luris. Like, nothing has re- if nothing has really changed, if you're seeing all the same decks in the top eight, then its presence in the sideboard of those decks probably didn't matter much. Are you are you saying that just because you're hoping your Lorises will be useful again, or you know? Well, I mean, p- people were trying to tell me on. I mean, no, but people were trying to tell me on uh, Twitter that Luris still has a role to play in Commander. Okay, yeah, but it's it's only in five or six thousand decks on EDH Rec since its release, so that's going to be. A, it's kind of like when Oko got banned. O- Oko has just been on a downward curve ever since. Yeah, that's true. Even though he's incredibly good in commander i think like i will i will be curious to see if this causes the resurgence in burn as the low slung get it done deck because what we've been seeing is just a whole lot of luris decks that use you know luris as not just the creature but also the chance to get one more card out of it they're already playing things like uh, unearth or the other one that's a split card whose name i can't remember um so we're we're in a spot where people have loved playing with their cheap cards. They just don't have the same obvious motivation to play the cheap cards anymore. Luris was Luris gave you a spare half card a game or something. There's a lot of games that a lot of games in modern that finish turn four or five, and you never even get a chance to put Luris in your hand. Right, and that's you know, are people going to be all over that anyway? I know it's. There's a, a lot to find out, and the, the results in the, the next couple of weeks will tell us a lot about where people want to go with the format. And we're going to talk about, you know, you mentioned Liliana the Veil. There's several other cards where they've unbanned Luris, and now people are like, this is the time! This is the time for this card to shine! And to be clear, I would feel very differently about this if Luris only was in one deck, and that deck was 50% of the format. That gets you much closer to where we were in Eldrazi Winter, right? Where it was basically, right. you could play Eldrazi, or you could play... I'm trying to think what deck was doing okay. Affinity. Affinity was doing okay during Eldrazi Winter. And there was maybe one or two other decks that could sort of hang close. But the format was so biased towards the Eldrazi deck because their land base was so broken between um, Eye of Ugin and the other land that makes two mana so that they're casting thought not seers on turn two eldrazi temple eldrazi temple i mean that that was just clearly a broken mana base um and then the payoff cards were basically two drops and three drops instead of five drops and four drops that was a very very different format and the associated bands made sense this format doesn't look like that to me and so I'm very curious to see where things end up. I suspect that the overall uh, card, uh, the power level of cards in the last few years will keep the format diverse just because there's a lot of synergy to be mined in deck building. And there's also ways to work around the ability for control to try to sweep you out of the game without leaning on Luris. So we'll see where things go. Um 
I'm cautiously optimistic. I want the format to stay looking like this, and I, I, I question whether Wizards uh, has this has the same goals. Right. Um, I, I just think measuring like percentage of decks that play a certain card is not is not the only statistic worth looking at. Like if if you look at the top eights for the last six months, I, I can't imagine complaining about the format. Well, I, I think if you play modern every day and you see Luris decks 50% of the time, it makes you feel like the experience is repetitive. But the decks that are that are pulling Luris out in the mid game are doing it from completely different axes. Like Burn plays out completely differently than Hammer Time, which plays completely differently than Boggles, which plays completely differently from Prowess and any of the other five or six decks that ran Luris. So I don't really get the complaint. Like, if you're playing Blue-Red Murktide and you lose to Luris a lot, you might start thinking, oh, it's because they have Luris. But the reality is you probably just needed to build your deck a little differently. I, again, I, I don't think they were upset. Like, they recognized that Luris was in a, a wide range of decks. It wasn't just the Luris deck. It was that Luris put restrictions on things that they... That, that people were doing that um, made it feel like... I agree with you that not every game had Luris, but they people needed a reason to not play Luris. Right? Well, like, their, their, their specific note that they published publicly was, Luris of the Dream Den has remained a ubiquitous presence in the format across multiple archetypes. Agreed. Luris's play rate, 31% in Magic Online Leagues, that started with four wins, points to a card that is contributing to the homogenization of the modern play experience. Strongly disagree. 31% means three matches out of 10 you run into Luris. That's not that high. That's not that high. And I would argue, again, that's seven or eight different archetypes. So I, I don't see it as being that different than something like Urza's Saga where a lot of decks that don't have three and four mana cost requirements can find reason to be running Saga these days. And it is probably in 30% of decks as well right now. Boseju might be in 30% of decks right now. Or Ottawa. Yeah, being in a deck is not the same as what they're talking about because it's not like you know these decks were playing Luris in the... Well, you can't play Luris in the main if Luris is your companion. But... Um, like they're they're saying that they were unhappy with the prevalence of it, and people thought that the car that the the companion being omnipresent was worth the uh, the restriction, and it's it's choking out other things. And you know, you talked about it's worth maybe a half card a game, like you get something out of your graveyard every third game, or whatever the case may be. It was happening often enough that they, or people were building the deck around Luris enough that they, they just didn't like it. You know, I, I mean, if you're upset that Wizards is being inconsistent about things, I have bad news for you, my friend. The, the point they made was, that I most agree with, was for too many archetypes, Luris isn't a trade-off, but purely additive. Yeah, I mean, that that's true. But again, I just don't think it's led to a a bad format. It's led to a good format. So if you remove it and the format stays good and Lura stops annoying people, then I think we have a net positive. 
let's check back in on that in four, eight, 12 weeks and see where we stand. Um, for now, it's just, it's largely guesswork. And I think the point I'm trying to make is for them, I think it was largely guesswork. Okay. Because they, 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 they even reference, they say play data due to play data, community feedback, and a desire to help to keep as diverse a range of card options as possible. Lyris is banned. I argue, I think community feedback had the most to do with it. Well, I mean, they, they've shown that they have a certain willingness to always listen to the loudest voices. And, you know, you can you can go a lot of games hitting a lot of... Uh, a lot of lurises as your opponent. So yeah, I can, I can see that. Now it was also banned in pioneer. Uh, and that is neither here nor there other than a footnote makes sense. If it's too powerful for modern, it's probably too powerful for pioneer. Uh, and then for the rest of the companions, they said the rest of the companions are seeing a play rate that is in line with a diverse and healthy metagame. Like other components of their environments will continue to monitor. So they're not promising you that you get, continue to get to play Yorion, which is probably the only other one that would ever uh, present as an issue. Uh, you might see some fun Obosh decks running around. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, Spike had an Obosh build of Death Shadow uh, running Season Pyromancers and Rager Captain of Eos almost immediately. Um, anyway, we can move on. The Fast Movers of the Week, we got... Uh, Top paper movers, starting off with Boseju, who shelters all. This is not the new Boseju. This is the old one from Champions of Kamigawa. Foils going from 105 to 150, largely on the back of probably Hanada slash just general uh, iconic cards from Kamigawa hype. People remembering and checking prices on and deciding to pick stuff up. Uh, then we have Shizo Death Storehouse, all, also from CHK. Foils going from 75 to 110. That's probably on the back of the Black Red Modern decks that run. Um, uh, what's it called? The Giant from Theros. The other one, Croxa. Thank you, Croxa. Uh, now, whether Croxa decks will still exist without Luris remains to be seen, but um, I guess the ones that were running uh, Croxa. Oh no, that was that was those were Luris decks because he escapes for four, but his casting cost is two, so he was definitely a Luris build. Uh, Intruder Alarm non foils from Eighth Edition. We had them going ten to twenty, I think, last week on the back of Shorakai. This week they went from twenty to thirty, so continuing to see pressure. And then we've got Honden of Life's Web out of Eternal Masters foils going from thirteen to twenty on the back of the Go Shintai EDH build. Still one of the top three uh, most popular commanders of the week. Uh, we we talked about the combo it enables uh, last week. You basically get to draw everything and uh, go kind of infinite, especially if you've got uh, mana creatures and whatnot. For intruder alarm, yeah. What's next on the list? Next is the Wandering Emperor. The uh, regular foils have gone from fifteen dollars to twenty four uh, on the back of play in standard, pioneer, and modern. It's even showing up in modern. Having the Flash Planeswalker is a really good thing. Who would have known? It's not just that it's it's not just that it's Flash. It's that it has relevant abilities that you can that, that you can use at instant speed. And I mean, I'm I'm not chasing pack foils on this card here. I think Wafatapo running a single copy in his blue white control list is not really 
is neither here nor there. Um, I'm much more interested in my selection of the showcase foils back in episode 311, three weeks ago, where I said, get them under 80 to go to 120, and they are currently sitting over 200 on TCG Player and heading towards 250. So with like eight listings left. So Yeah, that's, that's, that's money in the bank right there. Yeah, that's gone very well very quickly. Even the etch foils are at, we were picking them up at 100 to 110, and they're up at 200 or so. And certainly it doing, you know, winning a modern challenge helps. But a lot of what's going on with the fancy versions of this card is collector demand that originates from Japan. So uh, between standard mo- pioneer, modern, and collectability, the card has is looking like it has a relatively bright future. Um, I would still rather be holding the fancy versions than pack foils, but we'll see how it goes. You know, it's also good to know that you can sell the the pack foils you might have opened in your chase for the sweet ones. True. There is that spot in the commander booster. In the collector booster, I mean. Next on the list here, we have the Sphere of Safety version from Secret Layers, going from $5 to $8, also on the back of Goshintai for 60% gains. Heliod's Intervention, uh, a card I cast twice to great effect during the Pro Trader games this weekend. Somebody else cast it once as well. Every time it gets cast, it, it does serious, has serious impact on the board. Um, just a fantastic EDH card. Foils going from 7 to 12, uh, 70% gains. Those will be 20 to 25 before they ever reprint it. Honden of Infinite Rage, also a Go Shintai card. EMA foils going from 15 to 30 on that basis. And then we have March of Otherworldly Light, just the non-foil versions from Neon Dynasty going 2 to 4 for a double up on the back of Modern Play. It's interesting. I thought that March of Otherworldly Light would uh, end up sharing slots with Prismatic Ending. But right. for instance, in the Wapotapa, uh, Wafotapa list uh, that finished first, he was running three March of Otherworldly Light and uh, three Prismatic Ending. So it was more that it was additive than it was truly shared. And I've seen the same thing in, in a variety of other uh other decks where they're just taking advantage of having because one can pitch to the other and one is sorcery speed one is instant speed so depending on what you need to handle and how quickly and between those and both of them pitching to solitude you have very uh, reliable um, often near manaless response to threats on board you know, we've we've seen in uh, from Force of Will and Legacy how powerful it can be to be able to answer any problem, and that's that's what we're talking about here. You know, uh, you get the ability to answer at sorcery speed or at instant speed if you're willing to to pay the cost. Marsh Crocodile at a plane shift foils from five to ten dollars. That's on the back of Satoru and Yuriko. I would imagine it's a blue black crocodile for four that lets you gate or bounce a. Uh, creature back to your hand every turn so if you have a ninja that you want to ninjutsu in uh, you can put it back in your hand etc also probably useful in tatsunari because you can pick up uh, enchantment based creatures uh, in some cases and drop them back down to get the frog back and go off yep it's really fun things you can do with that card uh next up we have drown in dreams uh i didn't know what this did but draw um, draws cards and mills cards simultaneously with 
with two targets, so it's a Hanada card. Because Hanada oh, yeah. would reduce the cost by two. Just busted right in half. Uh, it's gone from $4 to 8 Uh That's just a regular frame one, right? It's not even the extended art? Yeah, because it's a commander... Uh, a commander yeah. deck card. So there's... Uh, can't remember if there's an extended art version of it or not. Uh, next up on the list, we have Foil Skewer the Critics, the uh, spectacle card that turns into Lightning Bolt. Uh, it's gone about a double up from 15 to 32 on the back of the fact that, you know, this is a ridiculously good modern burn card. If you've already zapped them with a bolt, you get another bolt for one mana. Who doesn't love that? Drown and Dreams as a Midnight Hunt uh extended art card from the cbs does it in fact exist and then yeah screw the critics foils drained down to almost nothing on tcg there's literally one listing left at 52 dollars, and i have three russian foils that i had sitting around so i guess i should get those up for sale well you should also take a look through stuff you've bought for uh foil copies of smoke shroud out of modern horizons one yeah the foils have gone one dollar fifty to about five because uh, it's amazing in a ninja deck. And now we have two strong contenders for ninjas between Satoru and Yuriko. Uh, in case you didn't remember, this is the enchantment. Uh, one in a blue enchanted creature gets 1-1 one, one in flying. And when a ninja comes into your play for you, you can return it from your graveyard attached to that creature. Which is pretty darn amazing. Yep, yep. And then Hid the top gainer of the week is Hidetsugu Consumes All out of Neon Dynasty, going from 4 to 15 on the back of Modern Play. Um, I had theorized during our set review that this card was probably underrated and was quite good given all of the one casting cost permanence and zero casting cost permanence that were prevalent in the format, but had said, you know, I don't know what deck this goes in. Uh, turns out the brewers are hard at work figuring out what deck it goes in and it has started to show up in greater numbers on stream and uh, in some 5-0 finishes so people are moving in on the card it remains to be seen whether we're going to see it show up in a top eight because i don't think we've seen that yet yep uh and that leads us to our uh did you want to mention anything else about hitigetsu consumes all like do you think it's done I'm not sure it's done with Luris's ban and whatnot, because the presence of Luris, like, because it would be great against Luris decks, but it doesn't go into Luris decks. So now, like, if people try to stay low slung, you might have a lot of these playing against each other, and a jump from 4 to 15 for uh, a Mythic only in Modern is probably as high as this goes. I could see it nudging up to 20, but like we're still opening this card, so I don't, I don't know how much higher it's really going to go. I the the one that is more likely to accelerate further is the showcase uh, demi foil extended art. It's really weird because on the front side it's not extended art; it just has different art. Right in the saga in the saga the vertical framed saga portion on the right, and then when you flip it, it is an extended art. But um, a lot of players, I think, will see them as like interchangeable, just because the the backside is is not the important part of the card. And uh, I think it's going to boil down to whether it posts up semi permanently in the format, because 
none of as I said, none of these top eight decks were running it. So if right. we start, if there's a deck that adopts it as a two or a three of, and it shows up regularly, then that's a different thing. Um, it certainly has the targets. I just don't know if it has the shell with if the shells that it has been being experimented in have staying power. Or even if it's going to be worth trying to do, considering that Lurus decks are going to go away. The thing is, I don't think the low-slung decks are going anywhere. The cards are too powerful. Like No one's going to stop playing Asper Sentinel, Darcy, Ragavan, etc. just because they don't have Lurus. It's possible that those decks fall a half-step back and fall from Tier 1 to Tier 1.5 or Tier 2, depending on which deck we're talking about. Like... But are, we, are you still going to see Hammer Times in the top eight this week? I'm willing to bet we will. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they need Luris to, to win matches of Magic, but we'll, we'll have more information about that a week from now. For now, let's take a look at the Magic Online move, top movers of the week, where we have data, you know, we're recording Tuesday night, the band was yesterday morning. So this is our best insight into what modern players and speculators think is going to happen post the Luris ban, because almost all of these cards are up because of Luris's banning. Season Pyromancer from Modern Horizons 1 went from 16.5 tickets to almost 27. That's 65% gains on the back of a post Luris banning spike. Um, on the premise, of course, that as a three mana permanent, it will see more play with Luris gone. So then we also have Merktide Regent out of Modern Horizons 2 going from 23 ticks to 40 ticks. That's up 17 a copy uh, if you're holding any or got in early. 78% gains on the back. People just assuming that the blue-red Merktide deck that never leaned on a Lurus or any other companion would continue to do well or do even better in Lurus's absence. Then we have Archmage's Charm out of Modern Horizons 1, a prominent deck. Uh, card in the blue-white control decks uh, as per uh, Guillaume Wafotapa, going from 11 ticks to 20 ticks, up 81% um, on blue-white control hype. Liliana of the Veil, going from 7 ticks to 12 ticks in a Strahd copy version, 85% gains on Lurus being banned. Uh, I'm very, feel fairly confident you're supposed to sell Liliana's here. I, I don't think Liliana is going to see a tremendous amount more play. Uh, post Luris, but I guess time will tell. And then finishing things up, we have Mystic Gate out of Shadow Moor going from just under a tick to three tickets, uh, 240% gains on the black back of blue-white control, making strong use of the card. Um, they need to be able to cast uh, things with double white and double blue sometimes. Supreme Verdicts and Archmage's Charms have triple blue, etc. So that filtering ability is quite key to their land base. I mean, it's it's really good at what it does, so it, it's really hard to argue with. And uh, Mystic Gates, just uh, all of the filter lands are strong. It's just that the blue-white deck, given Cryptic Command and Archmage's Charm, uh, it's really greedy for blue mana. So, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Now is likely a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance5, that's the number 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. And that leads us on into our cards to watch, the cards that we think might grow big, um, at least price-wise, in the coming year. We've got a couple of good ones here. The first one is a repeat. I'm pretty sure, I have to go back and check the exact specifics, but I'm pretty sure I have already called this too early at a fairly similar price shortly after uh, 
Commander Legends released about 14 months ago. But here we are, fast forward 14 months, and Keeper of the Accord Foil Extended Arts look very, very tasty to my eyes. You're down to 38 listings on TCG Player. You can get them around 10 bucks, um, which I think is a little more than their all-time low, but it's definitely fallen off uh, a peak. Like, I think, yeah, you had foils up... Last June, you could get foils for 13 and they've been slowly declining as people, like, quit paying attention to them. But they still do sell, you know, one, two copies every couple of days on TCG Player. And the reality is they'll probably just leave this card alone for a while. Probably go another couple of years without getting a reprint. And this card is very, very good in EDH. White is always, you know, well-known for being hungry for resources, and they've been trying to force-feed us relevant cards between... Smothering Tithe, Esper Sentinel, uh, Archaeomancer's Map, uh, Monologue Tax, Wedding Ring. We had uh, an Osgear player end up with three Wedding Rings on their side this weekend. That was fun. Keeper of the Cord is right there with them. 25,000 decks on EDH Rec. This is a 3-4 four for 4 human soldier at the beginning of each opponent's end step. And I think this is the part people miss, is that this triggers on everybody, every opponent's turn. Right. If that player controls more creatures than you, you create a 1-1 one, one white soldier creature token. So if you're in a deck that is either go wide or using making your tokens big or you're Voltroning or you have uh, sack outlets for creatures that you want to make use of, this guy's handy. And then at the beginning of each opponent's end step, if the player controls more lands than you, you may search your library for a basic planes card, put it onto the battlefield tap, then shelf your library. That part of it has a, a bit more of a deck building restriction in the sense that you want to be in a deck that has enough basic planes to make that that ability repeatable. If you've only got one basic planes in your deck, then you're not going to get a lot of mileage out of this. But all of that being the case, 25000 on EDH Rec, $10 co foil extended art copies that are from a set that's long been out of print for a card that they probably aren't going to reprint again anytime soon. You know, same as everything else, it could show up in a secret layer. And given that you've got about 10 or 15 copies that need to sell, and then we're going to be looking at $18, $20, $22 a copy on TCG. I think if you need these for yourself, go ahead and snap one off. And, you know, if you wanted to go in on four, six, eight, ten 10 copies for spec, I think you're good. I agree. Uh, this is a, a card that they've, they, they will find some way to reprint at some point. Secret layer, maybe. whatever. But, like, it's secret layer is always a thing. But uh, I dig... Uh, this card, I like the stats. I like uh, where it was. Like, so much of Commander Legends is so tasty looking, because it's all so good for the for uh, you know in the format, and uh, the fact that this will get you tokens if you're behind. It'll get you lands if you're behind. It triggers for each player. Like, there's just so many good things about this. So, I'm for it. What's your first selection of the week? My first card to watch is uh, an uncommon in the promo pack frame in foil. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the Jukai Naturalist. There's a lot of cool uncommons you can get, but this one is really ridiculous in your Goshintai, in your Sithis, in whatever cool artifact deck, I'm sorry, enchantment deck you want to build. Two mana, you know, it's better than a mana rock because you can reduce the costs multiple times. And uh, right now you can get it for around $7 on TCG Player, but there's just not a lot of copies. It's already in more than 2,000 decks online, and this is going to be the sweetest version of the card for a while. There is uh, 
And in terms of like other ways you can get it, there aren't any. There's just your regular frame and your promo and your uh, pack foil. So being able to get in the promo frame is important. There's not like another ninja version or something else out there. This is the only sweet version. And so I think the foil versions are pretty easy pick to go uh, from $7 to 15 just on a back of this is the card you want in your green white enchantment list. Yeah, I don't really have much to add here other than this has very broad applications. It's not just Goshintai, it's also Sithis and a bunch of other commanders. Basically, if you're an enchantment theme and you happen to be green-white, you're going to play this card. And the promo version is going to be popular. And I, even though paper play has resumed to an extent, there will still be less of these in the wild um, than there would normally have been three years ago. So, uh, yeah, I like this one. I The one... Probably counterpoint is there may still be some of these filtering out of LGSs into the wild. The inventory could fill in sure. and knock the price down before it later shows gains. Uh, I'd have to go back and see some similar promos from the last 6 to 12 months and see what their curves look like, like how long you could wait before you pulled the trigger. But I think you can probably dabble now and then check back in again later. Yeah, and you won't, you know, given the number of listings, it's not like you're able to go super deep right now anyway. All right, my next selection is uh, continuing on with my theme this month of uh, important chase cards from Neon Dynasty, one of the more popular magic sets in recent history. Jin Jitaxius, Progress Tyrant, Phyrexian Foil Etched. Calling this at 100 to go to 160. The foil etched versions of this are down to just 20 listings uh, a few weeks out from the, the primary release. And copies close to $100 are, you know, a handful, and then you're already getting to 110 and pretty shortly to 120 And I think give this a few more months, and these are just going to be $160 cards. It's got strong CK Byla support, um, pretty much pretty close to what you would pay right now. You can get back out in credit, so there's virtually zero risk uh, associated with that. And it's also showing up in a good goodly number of decks on EDH Rec. Since the release, I think we're looking at something like 2,300 decks reported so far, which is 8% of all blue decks. You can imagine over time it might fall down to something like 4 or 5%. And it's just a very, very good magic card. You can drop it into play with Satoru, um, but it's just good to cast on 7 as well. Uh, big blue decks that have a lot of artifact mana can cast it on turn 4 or 5 fairly reliably, and it is a big, big problem for the table. Uh, it's just a great card. The, collect the collectability of the the foil etched version in this case is higher than we've seen with foil etched products in the past because they're starting to dial that in and figure out how to do it in a way that is attractive to players. Um, see the foil etched uh, Wandering Emperor at $200 as and the foil etched Farewells at $100 in Japan for other reference points. Jinja Taxi is just a really good card. And between the thing is that we we now have the Vorinclex, we have the Jintaxius, we know we're going to get the other three as Wizards proceeds with the narrative where we have the the showdown with the Phyrexians that's clearly coming. And at the tail end of that, people are going to be looking back at the first couple, trying to get all five and put them in a binder. And that's not going to be a huge segment of the market, but it's going to be enough to drain out the remaining copies. I mean, there's the the one we're looking at is the uh, much better card as compared to Vorinclex. Um, the green one, Vorinclex. Like Vorinclex was a collectible and neat card, 
This is not only collectible, but ridiculous in Commander. Because uh, if you're in a deck, with, like you said, with the artifact mana, you're going to hurry up and cast this. It immediately protects itself. Because they have to spend a card, you know, as the, the bait spell in order to kill this. So, uh, and it even deals with the, the mass removal. So it's going to be uh, a staple in Commander to come. Um, now the, so you mentioned that the, there is a foil etched Phyrexian version and a regular foil Phyrexian version. And you're just picking the regular. No, I'm picking foil, the etched. Right? There's less, there's less of them okay. currently on TCG. Oh, I need to, yeah, the, uh, the cell isn't big enough for me to see the etched. Yeah. That's my bad. It's funny, it's funny you mentioned Vorinclex popularity because he's actually fairly popular in Commander. Vorinclex is in 14,000 decks on EDH rec, which is 4% of all green decks, which is very respectable stats for a card that is a came out a year before the Gingitaxius. But I definitely agree with you that Gingitaxius is going to see even more play because Vorinclex yeah. wants to be in a, a narrower swath of decks. It does specific things um, related to counters and so forth. So it's really good in the tracks of counters, for instance. But Jinja Taxis, you can just throw it pretty much any blue deck and be good to go. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this pick. If you want your uh, foil Phyrexian, whether it's foil etched or regular foil, uh, you want to get that sometime in the next uh, month or two, as we start to like New Capenna is only like a month away. Well, right? that's the thing. Like, there's been some like vague rumor that there are going to be more CBs released for Neon Dynasty. If that if there's a fresh print run of those. That would be, A, the first time they've ever done that, because they never do that. B, it could just be that there's a subsequent wave of them where the uh, the originally planned print run, 100% of what they planned to print did not get off the presses, which could be contributing to the current uh, spike in Neon Dynasty CBs, because they're usually with standard sets... Right. Collector booster boxes should be tr trending down to below two hundred dollars at this point, a few weeks out from release. But instead, they're trending up towards two fifty. It could be that we're not actually getting a, a fresh print run; we're getting the part of the print run they didn't get off the presses in time. Because we know for a fact that Europe, for instance, was told that their Japanese Neon Dynasty stuff was going to be late. So it's entirely possible that that's connected to print run. Uh, production issues and it doesn't mean that the the market is going to face an excess of supply but it could certainly face a fresh amount of supply the question is will that land and and be cracked um soon enough in advance of streets of new capenna hype to actually matter and reverse trend on any of this stuff and even if it did with that reversal of trend on on all the chase cards and and uh, Hidetsubu consumes all, etc., would it push it back for very long? Because as we as we head into the summer, we are back to back to back on fire sets like Streets of New Capenna. Streets of New Capenna is probably going to be an Ikoria level set. There'll be some good commander cards. The triumphs are very important. The and then there'll be you know, 10 or 15 important cards for Commander and a, and a small handful that'll make their way into Modern. Usual stuff. But then we've got a Commander Legend set right after that, and then we've got the Double Masters 2 in, in the mid-late summer, and then we've got Brothers War and uh, a Dominaria set coming in the fall. 
So, it's... Plus, whatever the next two secret layers are. Yeah, ex- oh, exactly. A secret layer thing every six to eight weeks. So, Neon Dynasty Premium Specs. You have to crack a lot of boxes to find a foilette Shinja Taxius. So, unless that wave is very, very large, I, I'm unconcerned about grabbing some of these chase cards that are still near that $100 price point that could easily end up at a $200 price. $200 plus price point. Yeah. I am absolutely for that, and I, I agree with you. Um, I'm looking up the exact numbers again, and remember that Jingataxius, each version is one in 544 collector boosters. So it's pretty redonk. All right, tell me about this next card, which I didn't even know existed. All right, this next card is uh, out of Neon uh, Dynasty Commander. Uh, I'm picking the extended art versions of Organic Extinction. Non, non-foiled uh, because foils don't exist, wh- right? Right. Sorry, I put foil on the thing. We always picking foils. Um, extended art, non-foil is the sweet version of the card. You get the non, you get the regular frame version in when you buy the commander deck, and uh, so you get the EA versions in uh, commander boost. Com- I'm sorry, uh, collector boosters. We might as well call them commander boosters. But um, it's 8 white-white, and it has Improvise. So your artifacts can all tap for mana to cast it if they don't already tap for mana. And it says, destroy all non-artifact <laughs> creatures. Uh, I, have, I have played with Scour Glass, and being able to wipe one side of the... Uh, kill everybody else's stuff, and not your own stuff, it feels really good. It's up there with Crux of Fate. So being able to have this kind of one-sided wrath effect is going to be very very good and i think you can pick up your ea versions for around a dollar fifty on tcg player there's a a lot out there but i think that if you buy a stack of these and put them away and then in 12 months or so you'll open it up and be like oh look i have this big stack of cards that i can now uh sell off for five dollars a piece and you can thank me later because this card is awesome and you'll enjoy it. I know you have the um, the four-color... Uh... Oh, yeah, you play this in Brea for sure. Um, and arguably in Goshintai as well, which is what a lot of people are building. But the thing is, the, the fact that I didn't know this card exists and overlooked it because Farewell is such a, a bigger deal sweeper in the Neon Dynasty product suite may, leave, leaves me wondering how many people will pick up on this and how quickly it will be able to accelerate. We do have EDH rec stats that say that it's in the top nine cards from the commander uh, decks. Katori, Imposter Mech, Aerial Surveyor, Shorakai, Goshintai, Cyberdrive Awakener, Swift Reconfiguration, Drum Bellower, and then Organic Extinction at 1,600 decks so far, 6% of all decks since it was added to EDH rec. So those are pretty solid stats. I'm just worried it's going to get lost in the noise. And the fact that it's mostly limited to artifact decks and artifact decks other than Goshintai are not much of the top 10. Like we're looking at the top 10 commanders in the last week. Other than Shorakai, nobody else is really going to run this because you've got Ishin, Goshintai, Satoru, Yuriko, Hanada, Atraxa, Prosper, Tatsunari, Lightpaws, and, and Sithis. 
Brea is in the mix if you go to 15, but that's still only... And I guess I guess Greasefang, who's currently at rank rank 20. So between, you, you're basically banking on Shurikai, Brea, and Greasefang to remain popular. I'm also thinking about the next time they print a sweet artifact commander with white in its mana cost. You mean like in the Brothers War? Yes. Or in Dominaria, or in Commander Legends 2. Like, we are going to get more sweet artifact-based yep, commanders. And uh, this is going to be a card that you're going to, just like you said, it's going to be like, holy crap, is this an unfair and amazingly fun card for being unfair. So I think, uh, you know, your, your in is not very much. And you're looking at a very... I'm picking a $1.50 to 5 And uh, I think that that's quite reasonable when the next big artifact commander comes out. I think what you're really hoping for here is that they slide to 1. You pick up 10 or 20 copies, and then you're hoping to buy, buy less them to CK at 2. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's a, a totally valid strategy to, to hope it slides a little further. I'm not sure it's going to go much farther, but if you wanted to be patient on this, I wouldn't blame you. It's got sick art. Like, I definitely want a copy for my decks. Um, See? There you go. Maybe two, co- maybe two copies. All right. I, I think this next one is a, is a little bit more likely to hit. How about... I'm with you. Go Shintai of Life's Origin, the uh pack foil version which can only be found in set booster boxes and since it is a pack foil mythic it is pretty tough to find in there um set booster so it's a set booster exclusive tcg player is down to just 16 listings and they start in and around 50 to 55 dollars and go pretty quickly up past 70 this could easily be a future $100 card. It's a foil mythic commander. We don't get that all that often. A lot of the most popular commanders tend to come in commander decks and are not that hard to lay your hands on um, in foil. But these two that are first and second ranked right now and have been basically since Neon Dynasty landed, Ishin and Goshintai, I would keep, cl- you know, Ishin's only a rare, but Goshintai is a mythic, and that pack foil being limited to the set booster boxes makes it a fairly unique scenario um, compared to, like, Hanada or Shorakai. So I think you want to get these in Europe. That's the key. Over in Europe, right. you, can, you can get these Goshintais closer to $30 to $35 per copy, and the inventory hasn't been hollowed out yet. And I suspect that what you're looking for here is that you're going to end up... Um, probably reaching for a double up in a year or so. If Goshintai stays popular, and and I suspect that it's going to stay top 10, you know, I think if we get to the streets of New Capenna, it'll it'll probably slide back some. But as a five color enchantments commander, it's it's gonna have that kind of Golos effect where if you want to be in five if you want to be an enchantment commander, this is gonna be your is going to be a natural choice. Because if you're in Sithis, you're limited to green and white cards. It's not quite as fun to build. But you can slide Sithis over into your Goshintai deck and roll. So Goshintai of Life's Origin foils out of the set booster boxes. Relatively scarce, 35 to 70 within the year. Called an arbitrage play. And uh, yeah, I think you're good to go. 
Yeah, this is uh, probably the the best of the the ones that, that we put out there. Although I, I do like your Keeper of the Cord. You know, whenever you can find something that's underpriced in Europe versus how much it is here, uh, what's the buy list on this for Card Kingdom? Like, I can't imagine it's much more than thirty-five, or much under thirty-five. Excuse me. Go Shintai Pack Foils. They're offering thirty-five cash. 45 credits, so you're back by CK. So, uh, put this in the slam dunk category. You can, If you can pick up your copies off Magic Card Market, uh, do that. And do so with great blessing. Uh, I would grab it, and I'd hold it. And uh, would you be patient for the, thir- the fourth cycle of Shrines? Uh, because when that happens, this foil might hit, what, 200? I mean, that could be a, that could be a long while. The, it could be a long while. I'll, I'll tell you what's definitely going to happen in the next five years. We're going to go back to Kamigawa. Well, I mean, now that they found out if they make it cool, we will. Yes. Yeah, for sure. It's going to be like Zendikar. We're going back to Kamigawa like every three to like four to five years. <laughs> That's just going to happen. So you could have more shrines next time. Um, but I think the, the the deal here is you could buy even just one copy from Europe, or even get these $50 copies in the US or talk somebody down on Facebook to 45 or whatever. You get to double sleeve it, put it in a top loader, build the deck, play with it all year, and then later exit when you get bored of the commander, you get to exit on the on the commander for you know a double up. That's gonna be pretty nice. So out of our five cards to watch, and we don't have a pro shader selection this week. Um, I think I rank them like this. Go Shintai, Jinja Taxis, Jukai Naturalist, Keeper of the Accord, Organic Extinction. I am not going to argue. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's good. Um, I think that you really want to get your Shintais and your Jinja Taxis right now. And uh, the Keeper, the Jukai, and the Organic. You can be a little patient on if you want to. But we have the velocity of sales on the other ones to really to really back it up all right and i guess the only other thing we're going to tackle this week since we've already kind of covered the luris ban is the early impressions on streets of new capenna uh, since there was a magic live stream last week where they gave us kind of like the first glimmers of information about the set uh, including some early cards that they showed off. So we can dive in on that. Probably the most important thing they showed us is that they are indeed, as we and many people predicted, um, including the completion of the Triome uh, cycle. Although they're not called Triomes. They are triple-colored uh, lands that come into Battlefield Tapped and still have Cycling 3. So it's basically the follow-on five from the five that appeared in Ikoria. And I almost immediately tweeted out and posted to the pro traders, you know, if if you're a armchair speculator slash collector and you you like to keep things simple, let me make it real simple for you. Grab the three best triomes in extremely deep quantity on opening weekend and you will do just fine <laughs> on an 18-month horizon. You're going to want the Esper one, you're going to want the Jund one, and you're going to want the Grixis one, because the Jund and the Grixis one are going to see a solid amount of modern play in addition to their EDH play, and the Esper one may see some play 
in in modern as well but we'll certainly see a ton of edh play the other two the naya and bant versions will probably do fine as well but just naturally color fixing is easier in green so you, you tend to gravitate towards as we did with the commander legends uh duels to the colors that don't include green it's also worth mentioning there's going to be uh two special versions to chase uh there's going to be um do they tell us what these are called a borderless and skyscraper are the treatments and the borderless one uh you know both of them have the uh, white text on a dark background uh the borderless one does have the shrunken text box that we saw with the ikoria borderless versions um i think I don't like that they put the um, sigils of the families so obvious. You know what I mean? But um, these are, like the skyscraper ones are just not nearly as neat in my book. And I wish that it was more in the Ikoria style. But, you know, you can't have everything. Yeah, there was a lot of complaining in our Discord uh, about the art for the the fancy versions of these. The thing is, it's not going to matter because (laughs) people still need them for decks. So they're still going to get purchased and it's still going to be the, the borderless versions that are going to be in the highest demand. The showcase versions uh, are very underwhelming. yeah. Yeah. Are very underwhelming to me. I don't think that frame is particularly well considered. I don't think that they needed an additional frame. I suspect it's possible that the uh, it's possible that the borderless is limited to the collector boosters, uh, or uh, it could be that both are available in there. Well, definitely both are going to be available, and I think this is just a way to make each one twice as rare. That's, that's well, that that was my next point is that based on the trend lines for how chase cards were handled in Neon Dynasty it does seem like each of them will be twice as rare. If that's the case, and there's a clear preference for the borderless ones, then absolutely grab some on opening weekend. Because, yeah. you know, I, I think I've sold the Jeskai Trium multiple times this month in foil borderless near $50, and I was buying those in Japan at 14 in the first month of Ikoria release. Here's a question for you. If I was to offer you a bet, and you need to. I would give you a date for when the all ten triome secret layer happens, or you know they might have two sets in the same secret layer. You get your choice of which set of five to buy, but a secret layer with with coordinated triome art, sort of thing. What? Uh, let's say I gave you. I give you one year from now. I give you over uh, March first. You take the over. Oh yeah, really? With a lot of money. With a lot of money. Yeah, somebody somebody in our Discord was saying pretty much immediately that these are so bad they're going to print them as a secret layer right away. And like they no, did, they're like, not going to do it right away. Like, like they did, but they, they had a point to make, which was a valid point, which is like they did with the Pathways. Because if people recall, there was a secret layer premium set that went through the LGSs. So not really a true secret layer, although they labeled it as such. It was more of a LGS product where right after providing us with five pathways 
um, in Zendikar and then the other five on Kaldheim, they gave us all 10 of them again with art, which was kind of mystifyingly similar. Like it wasn't well differentiated. <laughs> and I think that product has largely been forgotten. So it's not impossible that they would do it, but I suspect that they will wait a while. Um, I'm impressed that you had no hesitation on that. Like, you didn't even want to stop and think about it, given the Pathways example. You were just like, nope, a lot of money, over. Well, here's the thing. Like, th their point was kind of like, these suck, so they'll do that. And I was like, I don't think that's really how that works. They, they didn't put these out thinking they suck. They think these are cool. That's why they put them out. So they're not expecting the... And the thing is that if they were selling the new Triumphs to us directly and there was community response that suggested they would not sell, like people would not buy them, then they would be motivated to follow up very quickly with something that we would buy. But that's not how this works. Like the, the Streets of New Capanna has a lot more going on than just whether you know the art on these tri-lands is a six or a seven or an eight or a nine. And as I said, we're, we're all going to need them for a variety of decks, so they will in fact sell very well. In fact, I would imagine they'll be the top sellers and the top most played cards from Streets of New Capanna on EDH Rec, on Card Market, on TCG Player, for the foreseeable future. Um, now, will they make money when they eventually give us a unified look and feel? Yeah. But keep in mind that that's not even that important because the Triumphs don't often get played alongside each other. Yeah, that's true too. You, you have to be in a five-color commander to give a shit about that. If you're in a three-color commander, you've only got one Triumph available to you anyway. If you're in a two- or one-color commander, it's irrelevant. And if you're in a four-color commander like uh, like Atraxa, yeah, it's nice if they're matchy-matchy, but it's it's you're going to get pretty close anyway. And then in... I, like, you know, in I always like it when you say matchy-matchy that way. In modern, they run one maybe two triumphs in most decks and they do run the funsies I, I love seeing that in modern where you're like you've got the fetch land you've got a second where you don't need the mana you're gonna go fetch this up and it's gonna feel really great that works out because fetch at end of ops turn is very common in modern right and and legacy as well right like le legacy does the same thing they they are less inclined in legacy because they have duels to go get um they come into play untapped and let them do things at end of turn but the in modern you know is grix's shadow going to give a shit that it doesn't match the sultai land from ikoria no because they're only in three <laughs> colors dude and the one and two color decks don't care at all and there's not that many three or four color decks so you know what i'm saying like it's it's not as much of an issue as people are making it out to be um i am likewise disappointed i think my main issue with them is that they are not vibrant enough i think we felt we all felt very spoiled with the very excellent high saturation um, cartoon art of the Ikoria right. Triumph, Showcase Triumphs. They were a very pleasant surprise at the time. I, I did have concerns with those that they looked are sometimes hard to tell apart. Like three of yeah. them are very similar looking. And, they are kind of cartoony looking too. And, th and this, this set of them is even worse. They all look the same. Because they all look like Art Deco gold lobbies in downtown Manhattan in 1924. So I don't think the execution is fantastic. I also think that art direction just in general on Streets of New Capenna is very likely to be worse than art direction on Neon Dynasty. I think it's very difficult to do Art Deco mobster stuff without being very cliched. 
Well, it's also like really gonna. I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. There are still going to be things that stand out, like the the planes that they showed, um, that has kind of like a metropolis thing going on, is is pretty cool. And I think that mountain, Mountain Two Seven Nine, is actually going to be uh, a favorite for some people. That is a cool mountain. You are right about that. Two Seven Nine is a very very nice mountain that really nails the look and feel. And I kind of wish that that the triomes looked more uh like that mountain so they we've got jetmere's garden rafine's tower spara's headquarters xander's lounge and ziatora's proving ground and they are um the five factions that are vying for power and control and money in in new capenna um we're going to get a lot of mileage out of these because they're going to be easy picks on cast and they're going to make people a lot of money. Now, the only other card they showed us is a card called Broker's Ascendancy. And Mero went on record being... Uh, uh, when he was answering questions on his blog uh on social media this week, uh, asked if this set is pretty close to Cons of Tarkir in terms of how they handled the shards and... Uh, he said it is. So the they showed us Broker's Ascendancy, which has me, means they're going to give us the opposite set of Ascendancies as they did in the Tarkir block, um, where we had Jeskai Ascendancy, etc. Broker's Ascendancy is a Bant enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each Planeswalker you control. <laughs> so... Uh, for starters, this goes in every Atraxa deck ever made. I have two full builds of Atraxa, one that's Planeswalker-focused, the other is uh, creatures with plus one, plus one counters-focused. This goes in both, uh, and Atraxa is still a top 20 commander. So I don't think Broker's Ascendancy is going to be a slam-dunk financial spec in the opening weeks of this set, but as a long-term play, the foil extended art version of it is probably going to be sought after. I mean... You, it's really hard to argue with that. Counters is a popular thing. Super Friends is a popular thing. And this is going to kick a lot of butt in both of those builds, like you said. Um, you know, it is three colors. It is Bant. But um, it's not going to stop a lot of these decks and what they want to do. Thing is, Jeskai Ascendancy Foils have never really gotten there. And that card is very powerful. Uh, That card was good enough to be its own combo deck in Modern at some point, wasn't it? You can get five, six years later, Jeskai Ascendancy Foils are $3, despite the fact that they have never had a reprint. So I wouldn't get too excited about the Ascendancies, um, unless they look like they're going to go in a, a lot of decks. Anything that's three... If you think about the cards that make us the most money in EDH, they tend to be single color your Ristic Studies, your Smothering Tithes, your uh, Blasphemous Axe, your things that fit in a lot of decks, your Esper Sentinels, that kind of stuff. Did I make money on Atraxa this year? Like Foil Borderless out of Double Masters? Yes, I did. But that's a top 20 commander. And I picked Goshintai today because that's a top 5 commander right now. Um, But you don't want to pick the 100th most played commander and try to make a bunch of money on it. Like I, I sell a lot more Eurocos than I do Aloros, let's put it that way, in terms of Judge Foils. And I think with, with stuff like, in a set that is going to have a lot of tri-color cards, 
you're probably going to do better off to figure out what the new smothering tithe is. And just between that and the triumphs, go real deep on the top two or three specs plus the triumphs, and you'll be, you won't have to worry about the rest. I'd agree with you on that. Like the, if any of the ascendancies was going to get there, they're all really good cards. If you cast them, they're all like, they have a really clear thing that they're doing. And this one helping out two very different styles of deck, like you said, you know, it'll go a long way, but I, even as neat as the, um, did the, the showcase foil, uh, I don't think they're calling this the skyscraper foil. Um, even as neat as it is, I don't think it's going to be, uh, a backbreaking commander card, but we'll see what the other ones come up with. I just, is it, you know, old man shaking his fist at the sky of me to be like, why did we need new sh new names for this? Like, couldn't we have had Alara is now an Art Deco joint now that the the mending thing has happened? But uh, you know, I don't want them to try and give me new. Uh, I'm not gonna call it Broker's Shard. I'm gonna call it Bant for the rest of my days. But again, like, feel free to tell me I'm just you know talking about those whippersnappers <laughs> and wondering why they don't. Okay, you know, play cards the right way that they should. Anyway, I think the the rest of the streets of new Capanna information is going to start, uh, you know, trickling in in about two or three weeks. So we'll get back to you guys all on that once we see more. And I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more leaks, <laughs> as have been pretty standard over the last few years. So if something leaks on Reddit or whatever, we'll be discussing that uh, as soon as it appears. Uh, in the meantime, where can folks find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Word of Commander or my Friday articles on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month for the basic service or $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Finance is proudly sponsored by... I'm sorry, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE with the number 5 during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc., to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of MDG Fast Finance Podcast 314. Really enjoyed our discussion today, Cliff. Thank you all for another excellent episode, and we will see you next week for MTG Fast Finance. Mm -hmm.